Well, I invite you to take a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. If you'd like to read along with us in the Pew Bible, you can find Psalm 90 on page 496 and 497. I do realize that we have the little ones with us here this morning, and there's a whole section of little twitties over there. So I, I am aware that the children are staying in the worship service, so I'll do my best to be clear and succinct. Now, I underline that part, I'll do my best. From Psalm 90, I'd like to offer you a wise approach to 2024. As Scott Chernock was praying a minute ago, a day like this is a moment of transition. You're sort of closing the chapter on 2023 and opening the chapter on 2024. And what I'd like to do from Psalm 90 is offer you a wise approach to the coming year. And that wise approach is to choose the mindset of Moses. And this is a mindset that is spiritually ready for whatever the next year may hold. That's what's on offer in the 90th Psalm. A mindset, a spirit-filled mentality, an attitude, an approach that is ready for whatever 2024 will have for us and for you. At the start of 1871, the Spafford family lived comfortably and well in their Chicago home. Horatio Spafford was the father and head of the household, and he was a successful attorney and real estate investor. And consequently, he was a very wealthy influential man. He was a devout Christian and he was a member and elder of his local Presbyterian church in Chicago. On October 8th, though, of 1871, a fire consumed so much of the city of Chicago that it consumed almost his entire wealth. All his investments, his life's work, was consumed in an afternoon and an evening on October 8, 1871 with a, the famous Chicago fire. Two years later, after trying to rebuild, the Spaffords planned a family vacation across the Great Sea to go over to England. And the plan was for the Spafford family to spend some time with a close family friend named D.L. Moody. And some of you who have been Christians a long time might know the name D.L. Moody. He was a very well-known uh, evangelist, Sunday school teacher, uh, man, Christian man of the community, like another similar Christian man named Brother Brian. And the Spaffords planned in November of 1873 uh, to board a ship, I guess these days we might say take a cruise, across the Atlantic and go visit their friend D.L. Moody. But because of the Chicago fire, Horatio had to stay back in Chicago and do some work on his business to try to restore a lot of the wealth that he lost. So he sent his wife Anna and his four daughters on to, um, I believe it's a French ship. And it's, I, I don't know French, but if anybody in here does know French, you come up afterwards and you teach me how to say this. But the, 
I guess I'll just have to say it. The Ville de Harve. Is that close enough? All right. There we go. That's the name of the ship for now. They get on this ship uh, headed for England, Anna and the four Spafford daughters. But again, Horatio had to stay back. Well, as the ship was crossing the Atlantic, it struck by an iron sailing vessels, and all four little girls are killed. Anna survives. And she writes back to Horatio as soon as she gets to England. She says, the girls have passed alone. What now? A few years later, Horatio had a little boy, four-year-old Horatio Jr., who unexpectedly died of scarlet fever. Now, if you're familiar with the great hymns of the American church, then you are familiar with this man, Horatio Spafford, because it's from Horatio Spafford's pen that we have received these well-known lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. That's a wise approach to life. That's a wise approach to 2024. Now, where might you come by an approach like that? Where might you come by an attitude and an approach and a spiritual perspective to face 2024 like Horatio Spafford? Well... There's really many places in the Bible to go, but today I want to invite you to adopt this spiritual approach to the next year from Moses, the man of God, and from Psalm 90. And so to that end, I want to invite you to stand and hear this word as we receive the mentality of Moses, the man of God, from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. Or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span... A better way to translate that may be the better part of them, the ripe part, the best years, the, 
the good years, the strong years, your best years is but toil and trouble. And they're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I bless you for overshadowing the great man of God, Moses, and filling his mind and his heart with these words. And so I pray that you would fill me, your servant, with a spiritual understanding and ability to communicate the depth and the truth and the teaching of what is here, and may it be our spiritual food. May it shape our eyes. And direct us as we dedicate our steps to a new year. May we walk together as a wise and holy and distinct people. And so to that end, I pray that your spirit would fill my mouth and fill this room with the glory and wonder of what is written here in Psalm 90. And I ask for it in full faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I stand up here and communicate the Scriptures, I always try to put it as though the writer of whoever wrote the Scripture were here. And so if Moses were here in my place, I believe he would say, and therefore the Holy Spirit would say, that a wise approach to 2024 is very simply to number your days. To number your days. The twelfth verse of the 90th Psalm is like a door hinge. The first part... The twelfth verse looks back to the first part and then looks forward to the second part. It's like a door hinge. The whole psalm, everything that he's saying and thinking revolves around this very simple line to number your days. What does that mean? It means this. To number your days is to, number one, begin with God. It is to, number two, understand judgments. And it is to number three, know the name of the Lord. Okay. That's how men like Moses and Horatio Spafford live life. This is real wisdom. This is a real and helpful and godly approach to the coming year, to number your days. And that means that you begin with God. That you understand how judgment works. 
and that you know the name of the Lord. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to simply open up, Lord willing, like a flower of those three things from the details and the parts of the psalm. And we'll go in the order of the psalm under those three headings. So first, to begin with God. Now, wisdom. Okay, this is a wisdom psalm. This is a psalm that is communicating to you a way of life that properly is in step with God and what God has instructed. And so wisdom in the Bible is just the skill of living well hand in hand with God. Now, wisdom, this whole orientation toward life in New Year's, begins with having God as your first thought. Okay? Now, since the the little ones are in here, so, all right, all you little twitties, you look over at me right now. Okay? All right, and I see the couple little ones over there. All right, you all listen to me. This is for you, okay? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, all right, and you rub your little eyes and you stretch your arms and you do one of these numbers, before you go downstairs and you eat your cereal or your toast or your cinnamon roll, I want the first thought that comes through your brain to be God. Every morning when you wake up, the first person you think about is God. And you start that tomorrow and then you do it the next day. When you wake up every single day, the first thought that goes through your mind is God. That's something called wisdom. If you do that every single day for the rest of your life, whatever happens for the rest of the day, it's going to be okay. Now that's a very simple way of putting what Moses is doing and the example that he is leaving in verses 1 and 2. A wise approach to life is to approach God before you approach life. And this is the pattern that we find here with Moses. Moses in verses 1 and 2 is simply conforming to the pattern that we find over and over again, particularly in the part of the Bible called the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs. His first thought is the Lord. Because right here in Psalm 90 and in the first five books of the Old Testament, which are attributed to Moses, Moses himself begins his words and his thoughts with God. In the beginning, God. First word out of his mouth in Psalm 90, God. First thought of the day in 2024, God. When you make a habit of that, that's called wisdom. So too, verses 1 and 2, You, O Lord, have been our dwelling place. Before the mountains are ever brought forth, before you ever gave anything uh, breath to be, you are God. That's another way of saying you are the one fixture in history. You're the source of all security and all significance. You are the one constant. Now, it's wise to take time to remember what Moses is doing here before you approach a new year. And so let me illustrate this. Uh, in a very local but hopefully very memorable way. So in 1871, there was another significant event, but this one was much more close to home. So in 1871, the city of Birmingham was founded. 
And some of you know this, some of you may not know this, but you can go right up the street here to Vulcan Park, and it's an underrated little park. There's quite a lot to uh, enjoy, especially if you have little ones. You quite a lot to do there. So, dads, there you go. I hold that out, a little dad time spot. But Vulcan Park, you can go up there and you can overlook what was in 1871 the Jones Valley Railway Crossing. And so what today is Railroad Park, that railroad, that's all that was there. It's just 1871. You can go up where Vulcan is now on Red Mountain. You look down and all you're going to see is a railroad and a little bitty station to where the railroads cross. It's called the Jones Valley Railroad Crossing. Well, if you can go up to Vulcan Park, there's this really interesting little sign that shows you a passing of time of what was in the Jones Valley before the founding of Birmingham. So before the founding of Birmingham, this little sign moves you back in time and say it was before then, it was just the Jones Valley Railroad crossing. Uh, Before then, it was a Native American settlement. For how long? We don't know. So this little sign shows you what was before the establishment of Birmingham and what's after. So after the railroad crossing, you have this little railroad crossing. It becomes this industrial town, which becomes the magic city, which becomes the Birmingham that many of you and I have known for many, many years. But you go up there and you can see with this little bitty sign, the passing of time. Untold thousands of years, however long those Native Americans were there, up until right now, 2024. Here's the history of this little valley. Now, what about before the Native Americans got there? What about then? Before then, before they got there, there was only one person in the Jones Valley. God. God was in the Jones Valley where we're sitting right now. Before them, Jones, God was in the Jones Valley after them. When I got here, it'll be 10 years this year that I've been at Third Presbyterian Church. When I got to Third Presbyterian Church in the Jones Valley, guess who was here before me? God. Guess who will be here after me? God. What does Psalm 91 and 2 say? One generation comes in, another generation goes out, but who's still going to be in the Jones Valley? God. Okay? Now... The wisdom of this is when you think like this, when you begin with God, it has a way of reordering your approach to life. Very practically, okay? Uh, Moses would say if he were here, in 2024, here's what I want you to, well, here's what I want you to do. I guarantee you there will be issues. I guarantee you there will be trials. I guarantee you there may very well be some triumphs. I don't know. But I can promise you this. If you begin with God and not the issue, the issue will be properly ordered. If you begin with God and not the issue, the issue will be in its proper place. If you get that backwards... If you start with the issue and then move to God, the issue is bigger or smaller than it really is. But if you start with God, if you begin with God, not the issue, the issues of 2024 will be in their proper place. Some things will be really, really big if you start with God that you didn't think were that big. Some things will be really, really small that you didn't think were that small. But if you start with God... 
It's like dropping a huge rock, a boulder into the pond of your heart. And, it, and the ripples put everything in their proper place. That's wisdom. It's wisdom to begin your thought life with God. Now, when you do that, you're ready to move on to the next step in biblical wisdom, which is to understand judgment. This is the burden of the psalm. And th- this, this big block in the psalm, verses 3 to 11, this is what makes the mentality of Moses stand out. You're not going to find an approach to life anywhere, anywhere else, than right here in Psalm 90 because of what you have here. Because what's sticking out here is a unique and unprecedented approach to death. What is unique here is the way in which Moses understands and relates to what he calls toil and trouble. He has a perspective on mortality that is unique. That if you if you put it on your mind like a hat, all of a sudden death loses its sting. It loses its power because you understand how it works. Where else are you going to find insight into how death works than in the wisdom of God? And how does it work? It works like this. You, O Lord, you return man to the dust. Death is something that you are doing. It's not just something that happens. It's something that God does. You return man to the dust. You say, return to the dust from which you came. Why? Why do you say that, God? Because of what is written in verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. This is an intentional consequence. We all, according to verse 5, are like grass that's renewed in the morning. It comes up in one moment, it goes down in another. A cyclic rhythm. One generation up, one generation down, one generation in, one generation out. In and out they go and God remains the fixture. Why? Because according to verse 8, He can see what nobody else can see. He can see iniquity. He can see habits. He can see secret sins. And therefore, verse 10, even though we may have 70 or 80 years, the span, the best parts of the life is... And Moses understands. You've got to remember, Moses was one, was one of the greatest. He, he lived for four decades. I mean, for, he led the group of people who walked through the Red Sea. He saw the plagues. It was... It was he was holding the staff that made it happen. You can't see any God, you can't see God do anything greater in the, in the covenant of the Old Testament than what Moses saw. And he says, "All my life, you want to know what my life has been like? All the labor, all the intensity, all the prayer, all the teaching. You want to know how I sum it up? Toil, trouble, toil." 
trouble. Why? Why are we going to give ourselves for great causes, good work, the work of salvation? At the end of it, say what Jacob said. When he, come, when he came before Pharaoh, he said, you know, my years have been exactly what Moses said, toil and trouble. Why do you say that? Because Moses understands, and Jacob understands, and the Bible understands this fact. They're, the best parts of our life are going to be filled with toil and trouble and difficulty because of this. Because, verse 10 the toil and trouble is a just and proper consequence of this. Impiety. See, look, it works like this. When you begin with God, when you understand God, you understand how important God is. You understand how eternal He is. You understand how wrong it is to reject Him. And therefore, you come to the same conclusion that Moses does. That you know what? Mortality is a right consequence of impiety. And if you can get there, you can, you can get to wisdom. If you can realize, you know what, in 2024, I'm going to bump up against some hard things. But when you understand that this is a consequence of what we call the fall, if you can get there, you can have wisdom. And, you know, one of the things I take away from Moses' own life is... He had a real significant test in his life with this. Moses was tested on the perspective that I'm sharing with you in, in, some, in a very moving and troubling way. Moses had two nephews, Nadab, Abihu. Okay? Now, Moses' two nephews, they serve with their father, who was also Moses' brother... And these two young men are pretty much like the Anton and Hunter of uh, the original uh, church. These are just two young assistants, okay? And they, and to be honest with you, they do what we did. Uh, they participate in the worship service. They say prayers. They perform sacrifices. Uh, but on one particular afternoon, Moses' two nephews, um, they mixed the ingredients for the incense, Okay, so the pastoral prayer back then was a little bit different than now. Back then, okay, there was a recipe uh, for a particular recipe of incense. So instead of having a pulpit, there was an altar, uh, which had a, a wooden structure, four horns on it, and kind of this uh, little kind of carved down like a sink, and there's this little center place uh, where you where you light on fire a collection of spices. Now, there's a very, very specific recipe for that. And you follow the recipe exactly. But on this particular afternoon, Nadab and Abihu said, Well, uh, I think it's going to be okay if we mix the ingredients a little bit. And so they did. So they mixed the ingredients, they put it in the bowl. And as they do that, there is an explosion. And both of Moses' nephews die on the spot. Now, uh, a non-spiritual onlooker would just say, well, it was an unfortunate accident. That's not what happened. What happened was these two young men, in the course of doing their duties, had a very simple thought. Okay? Um, it doesn't really matter if you mix the ingredients. It's not really that big a deal. 
It doesn't really matter if you improvise or you innovate or you integrate or you uh, incorporate a little bit. I mean, what's the big deal? For crying out loud, we're talking about spices. It's not that big a deal. We're talking about just a few ingredients. You put them together, you light them on fire. I mean, it's just the two of us in here anyway. That's how they thought. Now, as soon as these two young men die, right there in front of Moses and in front of his brother, if you're Moses, let me ask you this question. What do you say to your brother? I mean, it's a real event, historical event. The two boys are lying right there on the floor right here. If you're Moses, what do you say to your brother? Let me read to you what Moses said. I told you, Aaron, among those who come near to me, I will be regarded as holy. Among those who draw near to me and the people of God, I will be known as the one true God. What happened to your two boys was a just and right consequence for treating me too lightly. Now, if you're Aaron and your brother says that to you, your two dead boys are right there, and he says to you, What happened to those two boys was a just and right consequence of their impiety. If you're Aaron, what do you say back to him? According to the scripture, Aaron didn't say a word. Aaron held his peace. You know why? Because he understood what Moses understands. That when you draw near to God... You must understand what C.S. Lewis said. When you approach 2024, you must understand what C.S. Lewis famously said about our Lord Jesus Christ. Is he safe? Absolutely not. Is he good? Absolutely yes. When you understand that the one true God who was in the Jones Valley before any you and I ever were, who was Moses' close friend, when you understand that that one true God is absolutely not safe, but absolutely good, you're okay when you have to live through the consequences of living in a world that treats him too lightly. Because we're living in a world that treats God the way Nadab and Abihu did. You can say about him whatever you want. You can ignore his laws if you want. It doesn't really matter. You want to say this about God? Say it. You want to think this about God? Think it. You want to mix this religion and that religion? Say it. You want to change genders? Change it. You want to change your orientation? Change it. It doesn't really matter. When you think like that, you will experience what Nadab and Abihu did. And when you live in a world where that happens, don't get flustered. It's part of God communicating to the world who He has always been. Okay, now you're ready for step three, and then we're going to finish up. Step three is very simple. Once, once this perspective and orientation takes hold, it becomes very logical, doesn't it? Why Moses says next, says what he does in verse 12. Teach me, Lord, to number my days. If that's who you are, if you are the one fixture, if I live in a world where I'm going to have to experience the consequences of man not treating you rightly and taking you seriously, if I'm going to live in a world that is under wrath, then the one thing I need to learn how to do is number my days. 
And this is, the, this is the upper part, okay? I realize that the, what we've said so far is a little discouraging, but this is encouraging. So how does Moses do that? What does it mean to number your days? Okay, and this is where we'll end. It's two very simple things. Numbering your days, knowing the name of the Lord, is simply enjoying His love and laboring for His imminence. Okay, if, if you're Moses, if, you've, if you're starting to put this mentality on, if you're getting ready for 2024, I'm going to begin with God, I'm going to understand judgment, and I'm going to have a perspective on hardship. So what do I do with my time? The few years that I do have, what do I, what do I spend doing it? Moses says, be satisfied, enjoy. Enjoy what? The steadfast love of the Lord. That's a phrase in the Bible for enjoying God's actions. Enjoying what God is doing in your midst. It, looking back on what He's done. Looking back on where He's taking you. Holding on to what He promises to do in the future. And just enjoying that. I mean, just taking it in. When you read your Bible in 2024, when you, I hope you'll join with us reading the Old Testament. The point of doing that is to fill your mind with the memories of God and enjoy it. Treat it like, oh, what's a good dish? I don't know. Treat it like uh, a delicious cake and take it in. Chew it. Apply it. See how it relates to this situation. See how it relates to that situation and enjoy God. There's nothing on earth that's going to satisfy you besides His presence. Moses understood that. And that's why I said, the time I got, I'm going to enjoy God. And I'm going to labor for His eminence. What does that mean? It means two things at one time. It means, Lord, our prayer. So again, if Moses were preaching a sermon, he'd say, Here, here's what I want for Third Presbyterian Church in 2024. I want to see God. I want to see God do what he did in 23. I want to see people stand right there and profess faith in Jesus Christ, who many people said were unconvertible. I want to see people stand right there and go right there and get baptized and initiated into the family of God, forgiven of their sins, regenerated, redirected. I want to see that again and again and again and again. How's that going to happen? I'll tell you how it's going to happen. Lord, you're going to have to establish the work of our hands. Because we're going to spend a lot of time in 2024 speaking to people, finding people, reading books, 